This is the Omnichannel Marketer, the show where we get real about what it takes to build a brand, create a seamless omnichannel experience, and drive customer LTV across D2C, Amazon, and retail. I'm Kate Stevens, the CEO of Bridge. Join me for unfiltered conversations from the trenches of e-commerce. We'll unpack strategy and leave you with tactical advice you can use today to drive your business forward. Let's rock and roll. Hi, everyone. This is Kate. Welcome back to another episode of the Omnichannel Marketer. I'm excited to have Kevin Wong here on the show, co-founder of Lunar, the first American craft hard seltzer. So Kevin, pumped to have you on the show. To kick things off, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, born and raised in Virginia here and came up to New York about 10 years ago, worked in finance for a bit, jumped into enterprise software, worked in tech for most of my 20s and two or three years ago, ended up jumping into the world of hard seltzer uh, head first, really, um, starting from home brewing in my apartment to now being in stores. And it's been a hell of a ride. Hmm. Um, so interesting. Tell me about, you know, the origin of the brand. How did you go from uh, enterprise software to, you know, building a beverage brand? Yeah, you know, I, I like to say that I fell into this by chance. Um, you know, I worked at Yext, uh, which is a, you know, a lo- location marketing software platform uh, based in New York. I was there for a good amount of time. And you know, throughout my career, you know, on the weekends, I volunteered at a lot of Asian American nonprofits. I was pretty active in the community. And it's always been on my mind, right? This blend of East and West and this this notion of hyphenated identity, right? Someone, you know, immigrate, you know, from people coming from different countries and growing up in the States. And so identity, you know, and culture have been such a big part of my nighttime and weekend kind of, um, you know, thinking. And that translated into this one moment three years ago when I was eating Korean fried chicken with my friend. Um, and we were just like, why are we drinking Bud Light with such authentic food? You know, why isn't there a drink that really pairs well with that? And you go to grocery stores the next day and we're just like, wow, it's all black cherry stuff. It's all IPAs. There's nothing here for the Asian American consumer. And, you know, really that's reflective of this trend in Asian flavors that we're seeing. And so we ordered a bunch of homebrewing equipment, literally bought kegs and tanks, got that shipped to my apartment in East Village and really got going brewing, you know, typical brewing in your home and having friends come over, try and trying it every month. And after about a year, people were like, you know what, Kevin, that's really good. Actually, it's quite tasty. You know, you should sell it. And that is how it all happened. (laughs) Okay. Well, actually keep going with the story. So, you know, you were making a beverage that, you know, better represented Asian American heritage and kind of, you know, this blended identity. Who did you start selling or where did you start selling first? Yeah, our first, you know, when we launched and it was, you know, such a long time of like figuring out legislation, regulations and how to launch an alcohol brand. So navigating all that. And when we decided to launch, this was late October of 2020, uh, which was nicely timed with a Delta wave uh, of of COVID-19, which was really fun. So we actually our first launch was all online. It was a fully DTC launch. And we sold out of our first production run uh, without any marketing, really, just word of mouth. 
And that's how we knew we were like on something big. And after that, we then went at it, quit my job, jumped into Lunar full time. And we then really started going after building our retail presence. Um, you know, that was always a core pillar of our strategy is building a wholesale retail um, presence in a big way. You know, for us, our brand is very much tied with culture and heritage and food is, you know, and drink is such a big part of that, right? It's such an expression of cultural heritage. And so we knew that it was important for us to be at all the top restaurants, all the top bars, the places that you would want to be seen and be associated with. And for us as a brand, right, Lunar is a drink that's meant to be had with dinner, right? When you're eating your favorite hot pot or you're, you know, you're at your favorite Korean barbecue spot, right? Lunar is that drink for that occasion. And so we knew we had to put that into that moment. Um, so that was always, you know, for us, that was the first year of our business was running around the city, knocking on doors, talking to bar owners, talking to restaurant owners, and really selling Lunar door to door. So, um, you know, Shopify, was that, you know, your e-commerce? Is that is that where you ho- like launched your initial D2C presence? Yeah, we, it's interesting. Um, we we now use Shopify uh, okay. for D2C we started with a third-party platform called Taproom, which is on Shopify. Um, but because of alcohol laws, you're technically not allowed to sell D2C, mm-hmm. as in like the transaction and the flow of money. And so to get around that, brands will kind of do a thing where we route orders through our platform. It routes to a third-party center that holds a retail uh, beer and wine license. And then that kind of company then fulfills and delivers the order. Um, so that's kind of how we launched. It's kind of like a interesting workaround for a lot of alcohol brands um, that just takes time to set up, um, but you're still able to do all the marketing things you need to do um, since it's still your Shopify. So then, you know, door-to-door selling to bars and restaurants to, you know, have that pairing from, from there, did it become a more dedicated, you know, traditional retail, you know, talk to me about how you're thinking uh, or how you thought about retail launches and, you know, where that is um, on the, you know, on the roadmap and how you're growing the brand. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we always think about, you know, there's on-prem, you know, in alcohol, we talk about on-prem and off-prem. And for us, on-prem is your restaurant accounts, your bar accounts, Um, you know, and off-prem is grocery, right? That's club, uh, that's drug. And for us, we think about on-prem, that's where the brand is built, right? Having your brand, you know, having Lunar at a Michelin-starred Korean ramen restaurant that is so accretive to the brand. It's it's a, a moment of trial, right? For a customer to be like, hey, that sounds really dope. A lychee hard seltzer. Like, let me grab a can of that. And once they try it, they'll get hooked. You know, they'll kind of have that moment. They'll enjoy dinner. You know, the food and the drink, it's all kind of blended into one harmonious experience. And then they seek out the product and the brand at a, you know, somewhere else at a retailer or online. And our first year, you know, we didn't have a distributor. And so we were going after the on-prem specifically, right? Really trying to build the brand in the on-prem and build awareness. And by year two, in 2022, we then started landing and launching our retail chains. So we landed and launched Trader Joe's, uh, Whole Foods, um, BJ's Wholesale, H-Mart, Total Wine. uh, And recently we're rolling on Costco at the moment. Wow, congratulations. Oh, and? It's it's a lot of scaling. Uh, it's pretty pretty scary. Um, but I mean, I think a lot of it's the brand that you build that then translates that demand that gets built, the brand recognition. Then 
oh my gosh, I had this at, you know, at the Udon spot um, in Soho. Now I can get it at, you know, now it's at Costco. That's insane. Like, let me grab a pack. And we we, we really see that uh, consumers are telling us that that's their channel of discovery. And then that's their channel of transaction. Mm. So, you know, now that you're unlocking these huge like transaction opportunities in retail, what are some of the, you know, biggest challenges that you're experiencing as you, you know, scale across these major channels? Yeah, there's a few. Uh, I mean, there's still too many to count, but <laughs> the ones that we think about the most, I think one is just operational. It's really about how do you scale a physical uh, physical good uh, quickly and how do you kind of meet the demands of, of your retailers and continue growing without, without really going too crazy on the operation side, right? And then the second part is the attribution. It's how do you quantify how, you know, where people are discovering a brand and how they're transacting. You know, with alcohol, it's typically pretty tough, especially in wholesale retail, when you can't necessarily know who is buying where and, and why, right? Where was that initial point of discovery? How do you attribute that when you're not in a traditional DDC setting? So how are you, you know, attributing that? How are you thinking about bridging all of these different channels that you're selling through? Yeah, we're, you know, there's a few ways that we do it now that are not super perfect. We do a lot of surveying. We do a lot of, you know, Q&A with our consumers. Um, and we are pretty, we get pretty directional results from there. Um, we're pretty lucky that a lot of consumers will uh, take pictures of us um, at retail. So we see that quite frequently and we'll see that, oh, hey, this is their history, right? They met, they saw us here and we can kind of attribute that um, through email interactions or through Instagram interactions. But a lot of that's very qualitative, right? We are pretty qualitative in, in, in overall. One of the things that we're toying with is how do we, you know, tie a coupon code to a moment of purchase? And that's something we're trying to unlock um, at the moment. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we should talk after about how we might be able to um, to help with that. But, you know, I think that's something that we experience across uh, a lot of our customers is just, you know, as you scale the ability to, you know, have this consistent relationship as well as attribution across different channels. How, um, you know, brand building's obviously been very important and was kind of critical in, you know, the first couple of years. How do you think about your end-to-end brand experience experience to those consumers and you know what are you doing to differentiate here yeah you know we we think about our brand in the sense of what are all the occasions all the touch points that we have with a consumer's day-to-day right whether that's grabbing a can during lunch right or during work happy hour maybe seeing us on a menu at a restaurant uh, after work you know, coming, going back home, bring, having friends over, you know, bringing a pack from the local grocery store. You know, there's so many touch points in, you know, in the, you know, in our someone's day to day. And we aim to be, try to present ourselves in the right, with the right foot forward in each one. And so that spans anywhere from the packaging of an individual can, right? Making sure that that's consistent with the packaging of our retail package, right? Our variety pack. Um and we have QR codes on our can and on our pack. And so when people scan to learn more, making sure that that takes them to a destination that is natural and inherent to where they're scanning from, right? Is this a landing page that is, you know, in relation to a variety pack? Is this a landing page in relation to a single can? Um, or is it just a landing page from them seeing us at an event? You know, we do a lot of events. And so directing them, and that would be most likely to our homepage or to our Instagram. 
um, for them to find out more. And so for us, it's very much about the flows of how someone behaves and where, in what moment are they when they discover us or interact with us. That, um, that makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, could you talk a little bit about, um, you know, maybe some numbers, growth and, and goals, like where sales are now and, you know, where you'd like them to be? Yeah, last year we did uh, close to half a million in top line. Um, a lot of that was from our wholesale retail channel. And this year we're hoping to be around 2 million in top line, um, also primarily driven from our wholesale retail channel. Amazing. Um, that's like, that's incredible growth. Um, how, like, how do you think about what's next? Like what becomes the focus going forward? Yeah, for us, you know, we launched in New York, which many, many brands like to say New York is the hardest market to launch in. And there's a few reasons for that. But I think one is that New Yorkers, you know, New York is such a melting pot, right? There are people of all walks of life. But I think that's actually an opportunity for brands because that allows you to really test your brand with many different types of people and to really see where your messaging is resonating. And once you kind of really build your foundation really, you know, and really understand your, your demo, then you can think about where do we go next? Where do we go from here? So for us, we've really built out and identified a few core demos for us. And our next step for this year is to expand our markets and launch in new states that correspond with the demos that really resonate with us. So for those who aren't building an alcohol brand, um, and I know, you know, specifically you're a hard seltzer, could you talk about some of the you know unique challenges of building um, you know, a hard seltzer brand? I think you already uh referenced one of them as it related to kind of the Shopify partnership, you know, not being able to sell directly yourself. But does that affect your your broader go-to-market strategy? Yeah, alcohol is a super unique beast. Um, you know, I think the the biggest issue is that a hundred years ago during the prohibition, um, there were laws passed that kind of established what we call the three-tier system. And that mandates that a supplier or manufacturer like ourselves, we have to sell to a distributor who then sells to retailers, who then sell to consumers. As a part of those laws that were passed. Each state in the U.S. has its own set of laws around alcohol. And so when you think about launching a brand, you have to launch state by state. And so the route to market is very fragmented, right? It's you start in one territory, then you expand from there, and it's state by state. For us, we're only really sold in New York City. This was our first territory. And so for next year, it's around going beyond that, right? We've really established our success, our velocities, our presence, and really gone deep in our home turf, which is New York City. And from there, then you think about, okay, where do we go from here? What is the next market that we open? How do we go deep there? Um, you know, it's sometimes you think about, you look at other traditional CBG brands and they're like, oh, we're knowing national with Whole Foods in its 2000 stores. And I wish I could say that one day. Um, it's hard to say that because you would have to be licensed and have distributors in all 50 states, which would be mm. in, like a nightmare uh, of a challenge. So that's the the playbook for most alcohol brands, and unless you're like a celebrity backed brand. Um, typically, when you build it from, you know, from step one to the next, you're going state by state. That makes that makes a lot of sense. So uh, you have a background, you've done some investing. Um, I, you know, ha I have a similar background myself. I'm curious, how does that, um, you know, help you think about 
you know, building this brand and also curious about, you know, how you thought about funding the company. Um, you know, some a question I get all the time from brands is, you know, introduction to investors. So, you know, would love to hear how, how you think about that. Yeah, I think uh, from, you know, the, the, the best thing that the best skill that's come from having been an investor um, is that, you know, one, you've seen a lot, right? You see a lot of different businesses. You see how they present themselves. You see how they talk about both the opportunity and how they will, you know, get there. And I think that kind of thinking um, paradigm is helpful when you're a founder because instead of, you know, you sometimes need to step away from the day-to-day of a founder and then say, hey, how do I think about this business as a backable asset, right? What is the return profile that's expected? And how do I craft a story? How do I build the business? How do I make the decisions so that I can achieve those results? Um, you know, it's it's unique because you see commonly see, and you know, we I mentor a good amount of people about how to create their pitch deck and how to talk about this opportunity. You know, many people see that opportunity but don't know how to articulate it, right? Why does it exist? Why now? Why am I the right person? Why am I the right team to to go after this? And packaging that up into a story, like that's the primary job of a founder is storytelling. And, you know, it's interesting because for many investors, you see a lot of stories and there are certain chapters that you need to have in your story. Um, so knowing which chapters to talk about and how to kind of string them into a coherent kind of novel, that I think is the most important skill um, that we take away. And it's not just for pitching investors, right? It's for talking to media, it's for talking to press, it's for talking to retailers, right? You know, you have, as a founder, you know, with Lunar, right, we have a huge opportunity ahead of us. There are, you know, macro trends, secular trends that are occurring that are, be, you know, the wind that are back. And how do we communicate that succinctly, you know, demonstrate proof points and data points to, to back up our claims and then show them why we are well poised to capture that. And I think all of these points are just things that I think for most people, you need to do a lot, you know, do many reps in order to get right. Um and but it's it's so worthwhile, right? It's if you do this right, you know your what you see, you know that vision you see in your mind, then it can get properly communicated to others. So talk to me about the storytelling with retailers because I I, you know, I think that that's critically important. Like what works and what about the lunar story really resonates with retail? I think for us, there's a quite a few things. Um, you know, one of the, the trends that we're seeing the most of is this rise in the Asian Amer- American flavor palette, right? Asian flavors are really trendy, you know, and it's it, they're having a moment now, but it's been in the works for 20 years, right? Panda Express has been taking over the nation for decades and decades. And in the past five, 10 years, you're seeing things like Jeremy Lin, right? You know, rising to stardom and Crazy Rich Asians and Bling Empire and um, you know, Parasite and just the rise of Asian culture, just really taking the world by storm. And with that comes the rise of Asian flavors. And as we see, not only from a cultural side on TV, but also from a demographic shift, right? With the Asian American consumer taking up more and more of the, the US population, you see this perfect kind of a blend, right? This meeting of two trends that gives birth to this opportunity. And for us, as an Asian American brand with Asian flavors, retailers are looking for ways to both be on trend um, and to better serve their Asian American demographic. And it's for us, right? Like on top of that, we're also a premium product 
in a category that's historically been dominated by mass market, you know, low quality seltzers. And consumers are tired of drinking White Claws since 2019, since the beginning of the pandemic. They're looking for something better. Um, and you see brands like Owl's Brew, June Shine, um, and us, like as those premium, better for you replacements um, that actually have a mission, have a brand, have flavor. And these are really coming to the forefront of, you know, that trade-up. And retailers are looking for consumer ways to kind of satisfy that consumer trade-up. And then, you know, once you're in retail, what have been the six, like the ways that you've made sure that you're going to be, you know, successful driving that, you know, import, important metric around velocity? Yeah, there's so many tools in this playbook. Um, I haven't tried them all yet. Um, that's kind of our goal is to go through the whole playbook. But we've done quite a few things. You know, we do a lot of demos. Um, it's always, I think people love the human element behind any brand. They love seeing the makers. Um, one of the brands I, I respect a lot is Ruby Hibiscus, and they are always demoing. It is amazing. And, you know, we demo quite a good amount too. And not only does it show to a retailer that you're serious about that partnership, but if you do it right, if you're a good salesperson, a good storyteller, you can sell a lot of volume that one day. Um, I think our record is probably around 36 units or 36 Apex of ours in like an hour and a half. And that was the entire stock at that Whole Foods. Um, and so we were like, we went to the store manager, really, hey, y'all need to buy more. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that's really one one way for you to not only collect qualitative feedback about your brand, but talk to consumers, you know, engage with them, see what they're looking for. Um, and that adds up over time. You really get a sense of who is looking for your brand, what your brand means to different people. Um, but also just a way to get out there and kind of have people really, you know, it's a really great moment to meet the maker behind a brand. Like, it kind of builds that one-to-one connection. And I think over the past two years since starting Learner, I think I've met around 50,000 people face-to-face um, just through events, trade fairs, you know, shows, festivals, concerts, uh, you name it. And I think that's gone a really long way in building a brand. Um, and I will say beyond that, which is, I would say demos are not super scalable, but even beyond that, I think Talking about your retailer constantly and talking about which stores you're available in on email and social, like being like repeating that message over and over again, that kind of builds that connection, that kind of node to node connection in your fans' minds of this brand is available at this retailer. And really cementing that relationship is important. You have to repeat it multiple times before it really clicks for somebody. Um, and then it becomes a part of their normal routine. Oh, yeah. Each time I'm at Trader Joe's, I'll grab some Lunar. Or, oh, I always go to that Whole Foods and I know they always have Lunar there. And I think that's really important, too, is ensuring that connection sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise, no amount of local hype marketing and driving people to one store, like that works one off, but that's not a repeatable, scalable process. Makes complete sense. So, Kevin, we chatted, you know, before we started recording about how you're passionate about resting. Can you tell me a little bit more about why this is so important to you? Yeah, you know, I think I just mentioned that I've met I've met a lot of people face to face, and I'll say last year we've done over 150 events. Um, just last week, I was at an event, more than one event every night of the week. So it's a lot of events, and I think more important than ever reflecting upon kind of what we've done over the past year it's being able to take time to focus on my own health you know like to ensure that i am in a great condition to really seize the day every day i think that's you know it it pays dividends in the long term 
And that's why I'm focused on that this year. And so, you know, as a tactical tip for people, like, is that just, you know, ensuring you get a certain level, you know, amount of sleep each night? Definitely sleep. Um, get, get your eight hours of sleep or however many hours you need. Make sure you get your sleep. Um, make sure you get sunlight during the day and make sure you drink plenty of water. Stay hydrated. Great. Okay. Moving into the lightning round. Uh, favorite omni-channel brand? Ruby Hibiscus. Thing you wish you could change about our industry? Oh, man. I'm, I'm need a, I need a minute to think about this one. I think there is a glorification of founder scrappiness that exists in CPG. And people are like, oh, he started in a farmer's market and he was working five years at various farmer's markets before he got where he was. And it's such a nice soundbite to say, but it glosses over, you know, founders not taking salaries for years or working double jobs or being out every single day, you know, standing at a farmer's market for eight hours and then going home and sending emails and doing business planning. And I think that glorification is, it's harmful um, to future founders because you go into a, you know, into the CPG industry thinking that, oh, it's, it's MBD, you know, that's pretty normal. And you realize that your day-to-day is rough. Mm. And I think a better appreciation of the amount, especially in CBG, which is such a, such a business that requires elbow grease, um, you know, having moments to really celebrate, really talk about founder journeys. I think that's really important for, for the future of our ecosystem. I love that. Favorite podcast. I don't listen to podcasts. So we got to skip this one. That's okay. Favorite newsletter. Uh, Andrea's snack shot. I do love that one. Um, favorite social media channel. LinkedIn. Okay. Favorite book. Let's see. I got to peek, peek behind me. See what I just ordered. Cause I can't, I forgot. Hold on. Let me take a look. Oh my gosh, this one, I haven't started yet, but I'm really excited to start. Uh, my favorite book that I'm very excited to read is Burn Rate by Annie Dunn. Cool. Um, agree. I have not read it, but it's on my list. And then favorite event that you're planning on going to this year? Wow, that is a damn good question. I don't know. Okay, you're going to so many. <laughs> well, people, I feel like people always will answer like Expo West or whatever. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like that's like a horrible answer, but we don't go to that one. So I was like, oh, oh I don't know what to answer. <laughs> it's okay. Um, Kevin, thank you so much for the time. Um, where can listeners connect with you? You can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter at Woven King or on Instagram at Drink Lunar. Amazing. Thanks, Kevin. If you liked this podcast, Follow me and The Bridge page on LinkedIn and Twitter for hot takes and tactical advice. If you really love today's episode, we'd love a review on the podcasting platform of your choice, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening.